This is VLX number 114, the 1 and the 99. We are in Matthew chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. VLX stands for Video Lexu Divina, the Patristic Bible Study and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace and omni pace sifiti, spiritu santi, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. And keep in mind the first verse here. Verse 11 is not found in some Bibles. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So the hits keep coming, but the blessings keep coming also. We'll start with some of the blessings. First, I just want to say how thankful I am to you, my donors. As you know, I do get health insurance and dental insurance from my diocese, but I get no salary. And as you know, on these videos and my blog, I have no pop-up ads, I do no Patreon or premium subscriptions, so what you give me is my income through that 501c3 that I run. Your donations can take care of my room, board, ministry, and travel expenses, and then on top of that, I take a $2,000 salary every month. I got to meet some of you donors at a conference in Wisconsin late June 2022. I'm actually just recording this the same weekend as that, just got back yesterday, and, you know, at this conference, the opening night, we had the Litany of the Sacred Heart because it was the night before the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And after we did the Litany, we were supposed to sing the Star Spangled Banner. I was here with about 10 other priests and several hundred lay people at this conference. Well, as far as the Star Spangled Banner, I had not done that since probably grade school. And as they asked us to sing it right after the Litany of the Sacred Heart, again, there's a few hundred people in the room, I said to my friend, Father Clay Hunt, can we actually do that in good conscience? And he said, I'm still fighting for her. So I sang it. And as you know, the next day, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Actually, we did the litany, the vigil of the Sacred Heart. Now, of course, I'm not saying there's a connection between us singing the Star Spangled Banner and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I'm just saying we did sing it before it was overturned, willing to fight for our country. Now, this video is being released on the 4th of July, 2022. So first of all, happy 4th of July. And I say this, let's keep fighting for this country, even if it was founded on Freemasonic and Protestant roots. We know it still belongs to God, not Satan. The United States of America still belongs to God, not Satan, despite the roots that we know about. So let's keep um, fighting for our country, and especially for the reform of the, of the Catholic Church. I mentioned that there are, the hits keep coming, um, and uh, as I was driving not too far from my hermitage, a young woman ran a stop sign, and in her car, she T-boned me in my car. I spun out about 200 degrees, and her insurance is probably going to total the car. My airbags got deployed upon impact. The cops gave her the ticket, so again, it's her insurance um, taking care of it. And it, was a, it was a car that a very nice couple from Texas had given me, and um, they actually follow the series. That's the only way they knew me, and they donated an entire car. 
but thankfully um, insurance will be taking care of that. But it is my excuse as to why you're only getting still one or two videos or podcasts a week. Do keep in mind the next podcast, at least one on sacred scripture and catechism. We might have a TCE before them. But my next scripture catechism video will be RCT intro. That is Roman Catechism of Trent. Probably going to release that on the 13th of July, unless unless I take another weird hit. So please make sure to get one of those books by then. Okay, so now today we are in Matthew chapter 18. As you probably know, let's start with verse 11. Again, it is missing in some Bibles. It reads, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. You know, with everything going on in our country, I just mentioned the 4th of July, and this is being released on the 4th of July. I think of these TikTok videos where we see drag queen story time at libraries with kids. We see things like probably literally possessed people screaming for abortion in front of Supreme Court justices' homes. And when I see this much evil and lack of rationality in people, I'm very tempted to think they're just all possessed. And, and you know, I kind of get tempted towards that Calvinist limited atonement view. Limited atonement is Calvin's error that Christ bore the sin only of the elect, not everyone who ever lived. But we have proof against that, that Jesus has come to save even those people you see on TikTok videos just screaming uh, at anybody who even has a uh, drop of common sense left. Here we have it in verse 11. The Son of Man has come to save the lost. So you just have to ask yourself, as it seems this country is on the verge of another civil war, except, you know, this time it's like, full possession in the eyes of these people, you have to say, are those screaming like demons in those TikTok videos, are they lost or found? Well, of course they're lost. Then that means Christ has come to save them. So Calvin's era of limited atonement, again, was this idea that Christ bore the sins only of the chosen, those who were predestined for heaven, not everybody who lived. But that notion of Calvin is disproved by 1 John 2, which reads, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We also have 1 Timothy 2, which reads, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then we have 2 Peter 3, which reads, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And we have Father Lapide here. He says on this title, on this verse rather, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. The Arabic says what had been lost, namely the whole human race, which was lost through through the sin of Adam, its father. This is Christ's second reason why the little ones and the lowly must not be despised or scandalized. It is as though Christ said, for the harm and the loss that you inflict on these little ones by scandal, you you inflict on me. For I love the little ones, even as my own children and my most intimate friends, especially chosen and beloved by me. They are my special property, and if you take it away from me by scandal and hand it over to Satan, I will require restitution from you and appear as the strict avenger of what I have lost. And then we also have the last verse from today's gospel when Christ says, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That includes all the people that you see screaming in front of uh, Supreme Court justices' places, screaming at pro-lifers, even the people lighting lighting up crisis pregnancy centers. These are the lost. 
and Christ has so come for them. And Christ has no hands but yours, no mouth but yours to reach them. Um, so this is our job to at least pray for them. Now, of course, if they follow you home and try to come into your home, you know what to do. I'm not even going to say that in the video. I'm not proposing Christian doormatism, um, but we do have to realize Jesus still wants them saved. Now let's look at verse 12. We're going to look at the Greek, but we are still on this topic of Jesus coming not for the righteous, but for the lost. Our Lord says in verse 12, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Okay, now my suggestion is find in Matthew 18, 12 of your Bible that word astray, or in a few translations, wanders. You're not going to this time have to write complex definitions above the word on any of these, but notice the word is not lost. Um, I think we're used to hearing somehow in our mind the word lost, but it's not lost. It's actually astray or wander. So circle that. It's twice in verse 12 right there, depending on your translation, astray or wander. And you're going to notice that this is not a lost thing, but a thing that's gone astray. What's the difference between those? Well, the ESV and the DRB say astray. And the NIV says wanders away. And I actually think both of those are excellent translations of the Greek. Um, but again, it's not lost. That's a different word. The participle in Greek today, found a couple times in verse 12, starts from the root word planao. Anytime you end with an O, it's first person present, just like the Spanish. So planao is I lead astray, I cause to wander, and I deceive. But in the passive past participle that we have there in verse 12, it means one who has gone astray, one who has wandered, one who is deceived. So notice these definitions are more moral terms than geographical terms. Yes, lost could be a geographical term, you know, like I lost my keys in the glove compartment, but I found them later. But in verse 12, it's planithe, planithe rather, is a passive verb, meaning gone astray or wandered away. And then the past participle, is at the end of verse 12, and that reads planomenon. Planomenon means, again, one who's gone astray, one who's wandered, one who was deceived. So notice that's much more moral than, geogra than geographical. That's not me moralizing. That's just what the Greek dictionary says. You guys know if I thought it was more geographical, uh, I would say it. The Hebrew, when we look at the Bible, you know, most of the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. It is such a physical language that even spiritual terms are written in the physical but Greek is a very philosophical, philosophical, amorphous, nebulous, spiritual language. Uh, and, and by the way, there's advantages to both. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Um, but the Greek is, I don't want to say whimsical, but it's much, much more wispy and spirit-filled and, um, and definitely can be nebulous, much more than the Hebrew. But it really is, uh, this time today, uh, wandering away or being deceived. Let's look at the last two verses, 13 and 14. But there's a lot to unpack here, so we're not done yet. Last two verses today, 13 and 14. Christ says, And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So we're talking about a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray. He goes after the one, leaving the 99 behind. The shepherd goes after the one, leaving the 99 behind. And if he finds it, there is more rejoicing over that than the 99 
that never went astray. Now, we usually think of this as like 99 good people, or maybe we should say 100 good people, maybe 100 Christians, one falls away, and then that one who fell away makes a good confession and returns to the Lord. And that's certainly a good understanding of it. But what we're going to see is the church fathers actually had three different views to how to see the 99 versus the one. And I, before I read Father Lapi today, Lapi Day today, I really had no idea about this actually. So um, I found it amazing. So I think you're going to find it amazing. It's a lot more than just the one guy who messed up and returned to the fold. That's one of the possibilities, one of the three ways of understanding this. But you're going to be fascinated at what Father Lapide has to say because the church fathers, I don't want to say they disagreed, but there was certainly three contrary uh, or competitive positions on who these 99 versus one were. So we're going to look at Father Lapide as he explains the church fathers on this. Okay, so here's the three different ways we can understand the 99 versus the one today in Matthew 18. Father Lapide says this parable may be explained and applied in these ways. Number one of three, generally of angels and men. Number two, particularly of men only. And three, specifically of the little ones alone. Okay, now I know those three don't make any sense. I'm going to explain that now. I'm just reading Father Lapide. So the first of these is understanding the 99 and the one in the parable today to be angels and men. That should be a showstopper right there because we always think of it only as men, only as humans. But some of the fathers believe that 99 and 1 was actually a reference to angels and men. Listen to this. Father Lapide says, By the hundredth sheep which went astray, they understand the whole human race which sinned in Adam. In order to redeem it and bring it back into the way of salvation, Christ, as it were, left the angels and came down from heaven and was made man. Now, if you think that's just out of left field, Father Lapide points that this was the view of St. Hilary, St. Theoflact, St. Anselm, Pope St. Gregory the Great, St. Cyril, St. Ambrose, and St. Irenaeus. So those are some pretty heavy hitters for the Church Fathers. So we can't just dismiss that. And I had never heard that. Father Lapide continues, Gather from hence how vast is the multitude of the angels, which as greatly exceeds the number of all the men who have been or are or ever will be, as 99 exceeds one. So what he's basically saying here is that for every human being that has ever been conceived, there's at least 99 angels that have been created. Did you ever realize we are that surrounded by angels and demons? He's not saying it's exactly 99 to one. He's saying it's actually more than 99 to one. For every human that has ever been conceived, there's at least, according to the fathers, quite a bit more than 99 angels and demons around us. So that means we are just absolutely surrounded by angels and demons. Um, but thankfully, the angels outweigh the demons because it's like uh, two to one on that. And then Father Lapide continues with this, one of the most amazing lines I've ever read in Father Lapide. Listen to this. He says, For Christ as man is also the savior of the angels, though not their redeemer, as he is of men. Since for the angels he merited all grace and glory, that is to say, election, predestination, vocation, all promptings and helps, sufficient and efficacious graces, and lastly, all merit and increase of grace and glory. Therefore, Christ is the meritorious cause of the grace and glory of the angels, and the angels on their part had a lively faith in Christ incarnate, and by that were justified. So say Richardus, Albertus, Caterinus, Galatinus and others whom Suarez cites. However, St. Bonaventure, to the contrary, believed that Christ merited grace and glory for men alone. 
Okay, so a little bit of disagreement among the church fathers there. But honestly, I had never uh, really known that. Or I had read something along maybe 20 years ago about it, but I couldn't find it. And I've kind of honestly been searching for that for a long time. Basically, the question is, did Christ have anything to do with the angels never falling? And most of the people cited here say yes. Again, listen to this first line. This is just amazing, and it's actually worth memorizing. For Christ is man, not just as God. Notice that. Jesus is God and man, but it says, For Christ as man is also the Savior of the angels, though not their Redeemer. That is something to keep in the back of your mind, really forever, that, that Christ is the Savior, but not the Redeemer of angels. Why isn't he the Redeemer? Because once an angel rebels, he's lost forever. It's an immediate fall from grace. But he kept them. He kept the, the ones that never became demons. It is Christ's incarnation, and I think what it's saying here is even his passion and resurrection that kept them in grace. Again, it says, Since for the angels he merited all grace and glory, that is election, predestination, vocation, all promptings and helps, sufficient and efficacious graces. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus Christ, in not only his divinity, but also his humanity, is the Savior, not the Redeemer, of the angels that never fell. Okay, and then the second interpretation of this 99 verses 1 is that 99 plus 100, 100 of these refers to all men, but not the angels. And so this is a simple one. This isn't very long. Father Lapide simply says that by sheep, this may be men only to be understood. For as a shepherd searches after a stray sheep, even one, and is glad when he finds it, so Christ sought the whole human race and rejoiced when he brought it back. If there were only 100 men of whom one went astray, he would leave the 99 and search for the one astray. So in some sense, we are all that one because we're all part of Adam's progeny. Okay, and then the third understanding of this 99 versus 1 is that that one refers to only some part of humanity. Now that's not limited atonement that we just talked about. Remember, limited atonement was Calvin's error, that Christ only died for some. No, this is just saying this one is a specific group of people that Christ especially has to go after. But it's not saying Jesus only died for a limited part of humanity. So this is what Father Lapide says. This parable can be applied particularly to the little ones, that is, the poor, the despised, the ignorant, the simple, and the humble, who are small in wisdom or honor or wealth or virtue or prudence. To them Christ applies verse 14, and all that preceded had reference to the little ones. Keep this in mind. This is me now, Father David Nix, adding this. Keep in mind in this VLX series that because all of the chapter and verse things are quite new in church history, I guess maybe a thousand years old, we have to remember that all of this really, um, at least for the entire chapter, plays into numerous verses before and numerous verses after it. So we had already talked about the little ones, and Christ is actually still referring to these, at least according to this third interpretation of the 99 and the 1. Father Lapide continues, For these, and he's speaking of the educated of society, for these are supposed to go astray and sin less. That is, less often. Let me read that again. For these, he's speaking of the educated, are supposed to go astray and sin less. For little sheep as lambs, for as much as they are simple and inexperienced, are more ready to go astray than older sheep who are accustomed to look to and follow their companions and their shepherds. So what this is basically saying is that the great are the just, and the minors are the sinners. The great ones are the just, and the minor ones are the sinners here. Thus Christ leaves those who, through his grace, 
are already great in faith and virtue. But if anyone who is little in faith, virtue, and prudence wander from the way of salvation, he seeks for him by himself, by his angels, by his teachers and preachers, that he may bring them back into the way. For he has a singular and peculiar love and providential care for these little ones, for as much as they are forsaken by others and left to themselves. For the greater the just, while the little ones are the sinners. And actually, I suppose that is actually how we've always understood it. But do keep in mind that this third of the three is only one of the three ways to understand it, or I should say, I believe we can probably understand all three of these and believe all three of these, not as competitive as I said earlier, but very likely is what Christ meant in his parable. In other words, we can probably believe all three interpretations as non-contrary in all of this. And I take back what I said earlier. The third one probably is the most likely that we have understood up to this point from just typical sermons that we've heard in either Novus Ordo parishes or even traditional parishes. But it is right. I'm not saying it's wrong. The third one is a perfectly valid uh, way to understand this. And it certainly is beautiful that Christ leaves the 99 to go in search of that one sinner. Please say an hour, Father, for me. At benedictio de omnipotentis, patris et et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.